Please be seated. It's my great privilege to introduce you to our special guest preacher, pastor this morning, Dr. Nicholas Allen. He also served as our keynote speaker for this weekend's B3 conference and delivered five different addresses on relationships, a biblical theology of relationships. It was a great blessing uh, for those who attended. You can go and see and actually um, listen to those uh, messages again when they come live on the site. Dr. Ellen is a senior pastor of Community of Faith Bible Church in Houston, Texas. He is the director of the Expository Counseling Training Center. He is also a fellow with the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. Dr. Ellen has multiple degrees with biblical counseling as his main area of expertise. His wife, Vanessa, to whom he is married, is also quite accomplished in her her degrees and her biblical counseling training and practice. Um, They are really a power couple of biblical counseling, if there could be such a thing. He's only one half of it, maybe not even the best half of it. (laughs) Dr. Allen is a man that has plenty of credentials, but the thing you'll see immediately, the benefit to us is the wisdom that God has given him with the Word of God. He has a clear passion to open plainly the Word of God to the people of God, but also to train others to do the same. So I know that as he opens the word, the Lord will use this to bless us. So Dr. Ellen, welcome to Redeemer, and we look forward to you opening the word to us. Thank you. I just want to package that introduction and remind my church of those things and say, see, people like me around the world. (laughs) Good morning to you all. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Uh, If you look in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to verses 30. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to verses 30. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for this congregation. I thank you for the leadership that you have given to this congregation. And I pray, Lord, that we would see your words today and understand what you would have us to process and to think about and to begin to live in such a way that, Lord, again, you would be glorified, we'd be edified, and the devil horrified as we stand together on one accord to accomplish the agenda you've set for us. Lord, we love you, we praise you. Be with us now as we seek to dissect your word. We need your insight, we need your wisdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now, I asked this in the first service, and I'm gonna check with you guys. Has anyone ever had a very raggedy car except for me? You ever had a raggedy car? Okay, so you know with a raggedy car, every sound means something, right? And you know when you hear that sound, you know there's something that you are supposed to do. So. For me, the car, when you hit it, tat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat-tat, and you keep trying to turn it, for most people, what does that mean? It's the, all right, some of you said it, the battery, maybe it's the, the, the uh, cables to the battery, or if you try to turn it and it doesn't turn at all, then you know the alternator's probably out on the car, right? And you've got to go get another alternator. Or when you're in the car and that 
red light comes on, that check engine light, you know the one you ignore until you have to fix it. That engine light tells you that something is wrong under the hood. And God is interesting in that he's given us noises and certain noises or indication that there's something wrong. I don't know if you ever watched a game show, but in some of those game shows, when they get the answer wrong, you hear that, and I hate that sound. And it just, it's so ugly sounding, but it lets you know something is not right. Well, God has done something tremendous for many of us, or for all of us, if you will, that we tend not to think about, and that is he allows us to have what we call a noisy soul. Now, for the culture, a noisy soul is something that you have to medicate. A noisy soul is something that you have to learn to cope with. But through the eyes of God, a noisy soul is an indicator that there's something wrong in your heart. And I want us to think about, for a moment, some of the noises that we hear with a noisy soul. Many of you have experienced this in your life. You've had the noise of guilt. And that noise can be very loud and it's very alarming because you know that you're wrong about something and it seems like the more you ignore it, the louder that noise of guilt gets in your soul. And you can do many things to try to clear it up, but unless you deal with it the way God intended, it just gets louder and louder and louder. Many of you, you've had that fear, that sense of anxiety that seems to come out of nowhere, this sense of impending doom that you can't seem to shake. And where the world wants you to medicate it, the Messiah gives you another message on what to do. But it's that impending sense, something is going to happen, something bad is coming my way, and you just can't seem to place it. And then for many of you, you get this insatiable desire to just get away, to just run away kind of like those Southwest commercials when you do something dumb and it says, want to get away? Anybody ever seen those commercials? And, and the thing that I realize is that many of us, that noise is so loud that we don't quite know what to do with that noise. But sometimes, if you will, you have a noisy soul when you try to control the good and the bad in your life as if you can control the good and bad. And what happens is the more you try to control it, the worse your life becomes and the louder that noise gets in your soul because you keep trying to hold on to things that you had no power to hold on to. You keep trying to run from things that you can't run from. It's like the guy who was on his fifth wife and said to me, you think maybe it's me? I said, you think? You keep running from it, but it catches you everywhere you go because you can't get away from it. And sometimes a noisy soul is happening because of that. Many times people have noisy souls because they've tried to reduce life to what they want or, or what they think they need, and, and they begin to reduce life to how they think that they're right. And as a result, they walk around with a world that's reduced to themselves. And we all know that the Bible tells us very clearly from Genesis to Revelation that nothing that God created was created for itself. So anytime life is reduced to oneself, the loud noise of the soul is going to kick in because you weren't designed to live for yourself. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says that Christ died that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for the one for whom died for them. But sometimes, guys, we have a noisy soul when we try to control the cares and riches and pleasures of this world, and we make ourselves consumed with that. And before you know it, our minds are so bombarded. And what happens is we find ourselves in two extremes with a noisy soul. 
we're either trying to live a life of being so self-righteous that we fall over our own imperfections, or we become so self-indulgent that we become numb, but we're still broken. And I find it fascinating that whether you are fulfilled in self-righteousness or self-indulgence, in the eyes of God, it's all still self-righteousness, which can create a noisy soul. Now, I'm a younger guy, but older guy, but I grew up in the age of the chalkboard. How many of you know what a chalkboard is? I have to ask that nowadays. For those that have no idea, Google it. First service, service, it was some young people like, chalkboard, what is he talking about? And they were looking strange, but it's, it's that thing, for those that may not know, it's like a board and there's actual chalk that people used to eat, but I won't go there. But they would put the chalk on the board and they would write on it, but then there was always that smart alecky guy who would take his hands, you remember that guy's in class, and just scratch down the, oh, just that noise was just tremendously annoying. Well, what we fail to understand is just like when people don't handle the chalk well and it makes that noise, and just like people will put their hands and just scratch down, that's what happens in a life not lived to please God. It creates a noisy soul. If I could put it to you this way, a noisy soul is a soul where a person is downcasted, devastated, doubtful, divided, devoid of peace because they're living a life apart from God. How does one quiet a noisy soul? Does God have a solution that is not just for the moment, but can be eternal for a noisy soul. As we look at the passage of Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to verses 30, God exposes to us a remedy, something, a prescription, if you will, and a promise on what to do to resolve a noisy soul. As we look at this passage, he says in Matthew 11, verse 28 to 29, I just want to spend some time there first. He says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And then verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. So I want us to look at this prescription, but as we look at this prescription in the passage, I want you to notice that there's two categories of rest. There's a rest that comes when you come to him, and then there's a rest that's gained when you learn from him. And we're going to understand what that means a little bit later as we unpack the passage. But the first part, the prescription to quieting a noisy soul, the first step, he says, is come to me. And in the context, come to me here is, again, establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is telling someone, I know you've tried to live a life of self-indulgence or self-righteousness. I know you've tried to get it right, make it right. I know you've given up and just gone into these areas. Listen, you are weary. You are heavy laden. Come to me. Come establish a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is a call to salvation. And so the first step to quieting a noisy soul is one has to recognize their soul is noisy for one or two reasons because we'll discover later on you can be a Christian and have a noisy soul and God has an answer and a prescription for that as well. But the reality is in the first part of the passage, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, living a life apart from me, trying to make yourself right or trying to do whatever it takes to calm yourself, trying to cope with life. Wherever you are, you come to me and I will give you rest. 
call to salvation. But notice in the passage, verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Not only is God calling us to a life of salvation, come to me, I will deliver you. I will deliver you from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and soon the presence of sin. If you come to me, I will change your position from sinner to saint, change your condition from being dead to being alive. Come to me and I will change your heart. You will be born from above, born again. You will have regeneration. You will be right with me. Come to me. But then the second thing he says is, Take my yoke. And what's interesting there, the taking of the yoke, that is a call to discipleship. That is a call to a life of sanctification. But Jesus could have said anything, but in this passage, there are two things he says that I think are very important that we need to all think about as saints. Not only come to me, salvation. I got you. Come on. Come on. I got you. I'll take care of you. I'm going to deliver you, change your position and condition. You're no longer a sinner. You're now a saint. Now, I know sometimes we act like ain'ts, but we're still saints, right? But learn from me. There are two things. I want you to take my yoke, sanctification, discipleship. Don't just come to me. I need you to walk with me. Learn two things from me. And look at the two things he mentions. Again, there could have been anything in this passage. So I think this is significant that Jesus asked us to think about these two things in a call to discipleship, a call to sanctification. He says, take my yoke and learn from me. Look at these two things, for I am gentle and humble in heart. The Greek word there for gentleness has the idea of having a willing submission from the heart to not resist to the will and ways of God. It's, it's the idea that, you know what, whatever God wants for me, however God wants me to function and live, I won't grumble, I won't resist, I would walk in a gentleness. And if you look at the Gospels, Jesus was always saying, I'm about my father's business. I, I go where my father wants me to go. I do what my father wants me to do. And as he was the model of how to live, he says, I want you to learn from me. Not just come to me in salvation, but walk with me. Take on my yoke, a call to sanctification, and learn how to have a will heart to be submissive to wherever I want to take you. Many of us struggle today because we like salvation, but we're not all that interested in sanctification. Be honest, as my grandmother would say, baby, tell the truth and shame the devil. You don't want anybody to tell you what to do many times. You don't want to listen to what God says. You appreciate his benefits. You don't want the responsibility. But Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest, but I need you to learn something from me. I need you to learn how to be willing to follow and not grumble and complain because I'm going to take you through a life. You're going to have ups and downs. People are going to love you and hate you. You're going to have good days and bad days. But if you learn how to not resist me and do what I've done, you're going to find rest. And we're going to talk about the distinction between giving rest at salvation and finding the rest he's talking about at sanctification. But there's something else he says that he wants you to learn. Not only does he want you to learn how to walk in gentleness, but the other word there is humility. 
And humility has to do with a willing disposition from the heart, a willingness to practice esteeming others above yourself. But ultimately, you are esteeming Jesus above yourself as the Son esteemed the Father. He wants us to learn how to esteem him above ourselves. Now, Jesus could have talked about told many things in sanctification. But he said, I want you to learn from me. Specifically, learn how to follow. Be willing to go where I take you. Be willing to accept what I allow in your life. Be willing to embrace what I take from you and what I provide to you. Be willing to live knowing that you belong to me and the plan I have for you is bigger than your immediate comfort of the moment. Because my ultimate goal for you is that you may know me and the Father by way of the Son that you become like me in your character and that you're useful to me in every relationship that you're involved in. And in order for that to happen, I've got to take you through some things, but you've got to learn to be willing to follow and to esteem me above yourself. Now, what's fascinating about this is that Jesus is giving us a very specific plan for our lives. Come to me. If you have a noisy soul, heavy laden with burdens of guilt and and this impending anxiety and all of this worry and insecurity. Come to me. Let, Let me deliver you from yourself. But I also want you to learn how to live with me and for me. And I want you to be gentle and humble as I am. The story is told about the distinction here because I need you to understand what we're talking about. And I've seen this a lot as I counsel people Some people believe that coming to church makes them spiritual. Now, how many of you know that's not true? I tell people at home all the time, God is not impressed because you came to church this Sunday. Now, I know you're impressed, but God is not impressed because you showed up on Sunday morning. That means absolutely nothing. What means something is that what you came for. And too many people have equated spiritual knowledge with spiritual maturity. And we all know that spiritual knowledge can make you arrogant unless you learn to apply it. And then you have others who have gotten involved in a lot of heavy ministry, but they haven't done any character development. And so here's what happens. They have a blind spot, and that is their knowledge has made them arrogant, and their resume of ministry work has caused them to be blind to the wickedness and inconsistencies of their heart. And so what happens is there's this idea because they think because I know and because I've done, I'm spiritually mature. And then God brings all these things into their lives to show them their resume of righteousness has blinded them to the wickedness of their hearts. And they have learned intellectually, but they haven't practiced and had a intimate fellowship with God. It's kind of the idea, as you will, about the story of these two pastors who were candidating for a church. And one was older and one was younger. And it was interesting, the younger pastor just came out of seminary, sharp, bright mind. I mean, just really sharp guy. The older man, it's not that he wasn't sharp. He just didn't have the intellectual insight as the younger man. And so the younger men, they were given their task. They said, now listen, in order for you to have this church, we want you both to preach Psalm 23. And as you preach Psalm 23, then we'll make our decision as to who should be our pastor. 
The younger man gets up, he begins to take Psalm 23, and he is waxing eloquently on the Hebrew. He takes every word, the Lord is my, sh-. I mean, he takes every single word and dissects it all the way down to the Hebrew and the construct, and people are saying, you know what? He sounds very intelligent. I think I understand. We, I know he knows what he's talking about. And they walked away saying, hmm, intelligent guy. The older preacher gets up and he goes to the passage. He doesn't necessarily go to all the Hebrew construct, but he breaks the passage down. And then all of a sudden, people began to cry out to the Lord. And people are wanting to come to Christ and, and wanting to renew and replace. And the younger guy sat and watched him and said, wow. So he went over to the older guy after the sermon. He says, listen, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I know I preach that way better than you. What is your secret? The older man looked at him. He said, son, you have mastered the art of studying the 23rd Psalm, but I know the shepherd of the 23rd Psalm. Ladies and gentlemen, coming to him and learning of him is not an intellectual exercise of just learning more information and doing ministry. It's about embracing the reality of this God, knowing him beyond intellectual capacity, but experiencing the reality of his presence. It's the Hebrews eleven six 6, where it says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is the reward of those who seek him. If you want to know him and his grace, it's not just an intellectual exercise. You study what he says, but then you can walk and tell people, not only can I intellectually tell you about his grace, let me tell you the experience I've had of connecting to the reality of his grace. Jesus says to you and I, come to me come to me. Salvation. Take my yoke. Learn from me. Sanctification. But he goes on a little bit more from here, and we get a promise from God. And I want us to talk about this promise. But before we do, consider these words from Dr. Jim Berg. I thought this was fascinating. He says, we must come to Jesus Christ to receive our salvation. We must walk with Jesus Christ in sanctification. But here are the words that I love. He says, we must learn the Lord's nature and out of love seek to relate to him accordingly, letting the mind of our master be the master of our minds. Now, some of us have our mind on our money and our money on our minds. And some of you know what I just said. But God wants us to let his mind be our minds. He promises something for you and I. And I want us to understand the promise because for you and I, if we can get into what rest is and see what he is promising us, if we come to him on both sides from a salvation perspective and a sanctification perspective, this rest that God promises us will cure our souls. This rest that God promises us puts us in a place where anxiety and all the noise of our soul will be quieted as we choose to walk the way he has commanded. Let's go back to the passage for a moment. He says to us in this passage, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. Now, what he's talking about in 
verse 28, I will give you rest. This is the idea of being refreshed, of being revived from the spiritual death to spiritual life. This is the idea of being born again. This is the concept of having peace with God. So this rest that God gives us in salvation is peace with him. In other words, when you come to Jesus, when he delivers you out of your sin, you are reconciled to the Father via the Son and dwell by the Spirit of God. There is now peace with God. He's no longer angry with you. There is no judgment of you. You are set free. And when you stand at the Bema seat, it is not to determine where you go. It is to determine the rewards for how you live lived under his life because his life is now yours. Now, see, that's some amen shout material now. I'm, I'm working hard, and I didn't get not one amen on that. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. That's some shout material, gang, because what has happened to you and I? We have been redeemed. As God says, come to me, you get peace with me. And that's different than the other kind of peace that we're going to talk about. That's initial, that's immediate at our salvation experience. Now, some of you looking at me strange, so you've just added four minutes to the sermon so I can prove to you what I'm talking about. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. I want you to see this. Romans, I tell people that at my church all the time. Okay, you're looking at me strange, so I need to show you what I'm talking about. Okay? Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Keep your finger back at Matthew 11. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have what? Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That rest is the peace with God. That is a reconciliation back to God. That is the promise, the peace with him. We are legally declared right with God. That's a beautiful thing, and that can never be taken from us. But going back to Matthew 11 for a moment, there's a difference in God giving you rest in verse 28, and then you finding rest in verse 29. It's this finding rest, it is a byproduct of something else. So when he says, take my yoke, again, you're walking in sanctification and listening and learning what God would have you to live. Notice what he says in the passage. Take my yoke and learn from me these two things, a willing submission to the will of God, esteeming him above yourself, and you will find rest. The concept of finding rest here is the inward tranquility which happens, that happens in your heart when you follow. It's a relief from anxiety. It is this relief from the pain of the guilt as we walk in sanctification. In other words, God says, not only if you come to me, you have peace with me, I'll now give you the peace of me. That is the peace of God. See, peace with God has to do with your reconciliation, justification, but when you walk rightly with God, you get the peace of God, a tranquil soul that is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians tells us in chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, what's that third one? Peace. When you walk in a manner worthy you get the peace of God. There's a difference between peace with God and peace of God. 
peace with God is immediate and never, ever changes. That is us for eternity. That is our eternal security and salvation. No man can pluck us out of our hands. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. The moment you come to him, there is reconciliation, peace with God. But saints, what we lose a lot of is the peace of God. And that is where I tell people in counseling, one thing I know, anybody that comes to me for counseling, they don't have peace. Would you agree or disagree? So no one comes to counseling with peace. They lack peace. What I have to discern, what peace are they lacking? Is it peace with God? Because then I'm going to give them the gospel of Jesus Christ and watch God work. And as he works, not as I will, that person may get saved. And then they have peace now with God. But then when I'm dealing with a believer, and I recognize this is a believer and they lack peace, then I know it's the peace of God. And somewhere in their life, in their attitudes, in their character, in their conduct, in their conversations, in their commitments, in their commodities, or in their communion, in certain areas of their lives, they are not walking according to what Jesus has prescribed, and now they're lacking peace. And my job is to help them understand where they're not learning or living what God has given them, the ability to learn and live, which is why the peace of God is not there, because somewhere they're not walking by the Spirit. See, the reality is people can't give you the peace of God. They can't take it from you. So when you lack it, there's something you are doing or not doing. And Jesus is telling us right here, when you walk with me and learn these crucial principles, you have the peace. All right, you're looking at me strange. Turn to Philippians chapter 4. That's another two minutes. You just add it to the sermon. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4. I want you to see where I'm going with this. God gives us a formula in Philippians 4, verses 6 to verse 9. Consider this formula. Proper prayer plus proper perspective plus proper practice equals perfect peace. I'm going to say it one more time. Proper prayer plus proper perspective plus proper practice equals perfect peace. Can you say it with me? Proper prayer. Come on, you can say it. Peter, Pepper, Peter, Pepper, Peter, Pepper. Come on. Proper prayer plus proper perspective plus proper practice equals perfect peace. I'll give you $50 if you can say it 20 times fast. No, I'm kidding. Walk with me through this passage. Notice what he says in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7. And the, not peace with God, because that comes at the moment of salvation. Notice the difference. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts, your minds in Christ Jesus. There you go, proper prayer. But then he says in verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things, proper perspective, then he says in verse 9, the things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see the formula that's laid out right here for you and I as saints? 
When there is a lack of peace in your life, Christian, somewhere you are not walking by the will and ways that God has given, and that lack of peace is a check engine light of the soul. It was meant to trouble your soul. You were meant to have a noisy soul to recognize that there's something wrong in your heart. And the world would have you medicate what the Messiah would have you eradicate. And we're trying to cope with what God wants us to cleanse and clear. And in this passage, God is telling us where there's a lack of peace. If you haven't come to him, come, I will give you rest, salvation. But if you already belong to him and there's a lack of peace, there's something happening in that sanctification realm, something that God has taught that you've stopped living, something that God has taught that maybe you've not begun to live, and God is calling you to look at your troubled soul to say, what is going on? Now, here's what we normally do when we have a troubled soul and we don't want to deal with ourselves because we always believe the problem is outside of us when God is trying to tell us the problem's inside of us. We will blame these six Ps, and I hear them all the time. We will blame people for our lack of peace. We will blame our past for our lack of peace. We will blame our parents for our lack of peace. We will blame the pressures of life for our lack of peace. We will blame the pain that we're feeling physically for our lack of peace. Or we'll blame the problems we're dealing with for lack of peace. Those things can't give you peace and they don't take them away from you. They are the context of your life by which you're either living out your sanctification or not. And the moment you blame them for your lack of peace, you're not living out what God wants you to live. And as a result, you'll try to medicate what can be resolved through the Messiah. He's telling you and I, saints, come to me. Learn of me. I will give you rest. But there are two other things in this passage that I think are very fascinating about the promise that God gives us. Let's go back to the text. He says in Verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus telling us here? My yoke is easy. I have an agenda for discipleship is what that means. And my agenda for your discipleship is easy in that it is well fitted for you. See, you're yoked to me, but I know who you are. So I know just how I want to help you grow in the grace and knowledge of me. I know just how I need your life to adjust. And I know just what to do. And I know how to guide you along the way because I deal with my children corporately but individually. It's well suited for you. You can handle it. You can do it. God has given you the power and the ability. Now, it doesn't always feel the greatest, but you can do it. That's what he said. My yoke is easy. I, it's tailor-made to fit you. It's, it's kind of like when I have to go to get a suit or something like that. I'm kind of a heavy guy, and, you know, I don't have the, you know how they have those things set, you know, 48, 32. Well, I'm short, so they always have to cuff mine. It's 48, 30, or whatever it is. I can never get it just right. You know, I get a jacket. It's either because I'm big and small, and they have to do all. So it's always have to be tailor made. I can never walk in the store, and I ain't gonna lie, guys. I kind of have to repent because I get jealous of those guys that walk in and they go, "Oh, perfect fit." Yeah, right. Whatever. Yeah. 
But when I go, it has to suit me, and the guy has to come, and I have to stand up, and he has to pull and poke and prod and just make it fit. So then I walk out, and then it's suited for me. That's what God is saying about discipleship. I tailor-made it for you, for you. I, I, I know exactly how I want you to walk with me. And I've adjusted because as you take my yoke, you're going to recognize that my agenda is going to fit you. When he says my burden is light, in other words, the demands for discipleship, you can handle. You can handle them. It may feel like it's overwhelming, but I'm not asking you to do something for me. I'm asking you to let me do through you. See, the problem with Moses, he was arrogant. What people thought was humility was arrogance. When God asked Moses to go and tell his people to bring his people back, Moses looked at his own inadequacies and told God he couldn't do it. How arrogant is that? To tell God what you can't do according to your inadequacies that he's commanding you to do. God doesn't want us to do for him. He wants to work through us. We are the instruments in his hands. And so it's never a question of our ability. It's always a question of our availability because God will take whatever you give him and he will make much out of little. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I, 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 you can carry it. You can handle what I will put before you because I'm with you. The story is told of this man who was on the way to the market and he saw his friend. He was carrying these heavy sacks on his shoulder going in the same way. And he said, hey, man, where are you going? He says, hey, I'm, I'm going to the market. He says, well, man, why don't you hop on back of the wagon? I got you. So the man hopped on the back of the wagon, but he heard his friend still groaning and, and he looked behind him. The man was sitting in the wagon still trying to carry the load. His friend said, you can put the load down. I'm carrying you. It's okay. Many of you are trying to carry what God is already carrying for you. And you can put the load down. He's got you. But the reality is you will never experience the peace, the tranquility of soul that the world promises that will never give you until you adjust your desires to fit your situation, until you accept what God has allowed in your life, until you begin to look at your role and responsibility before his presence and surrender and learn to live the way he wants. And as you learn and live, you're going to experience tranquility beyond your imagination because that peace is for us. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest, a call to salvation, and I will give you peace, peace with me. But if you take my yoke and learn of me, a call to discipleship, a call to sanctification, learn to willingly follow me, learn to esteem me above yourself, and you will find rest. You will have the peace of God that transcends all understanding. My brothers and sisters, let me close with this reality. And walk me through this because I believe I'm in Bible land. Am I in Bible land in this church? You can say yes. That's not arrogance. That's real. You're in Bible land, right? So if we were to look at the book of Ephesians chapter 1, it would tell us in Ephesians 1 that if you put your faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, does it not tell us in chapter 1 that we're now sealed by the Spirit of God? Is that true? If we were to go there right now, we would find that in the passage. Is that right? 
if we stay around Ephesians 1, does it not tell us that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you and within me? Would that be a safe assessment? Is that true? Yes, that's true, right? And we could find that if we look in Ephesians chapter 1, right? If we keep going around, we can discover in Galatians 5 that we have the power by God to walk by his spirit and not care out the desires of the flesh. So that means we're no longer slaves to sin. We now have a choice to sin, but now we also have a choice to walk in what's right. Is that true or false? And we see that in Galatians chapter 5. Am I still in Bible land? Does that make sense? If we stick around Bible land and go to Philippians, didn't Paul tell them, work out your salvation because it is God who is at work within you? Is that, is that true? So that means I can work it out because God, I'm not working for it. I'm working from it. Is that a correct assessment? So that means God is in me working things out so that I can work it out. So I have the power to obey. Am I right about this or am I wrong about that? Are we still in Bible land? So then there's only three reasons, saints, why any one of us is not obeying God in any given moment. Lack of knowledge, I just didn't know. Lack of skill, I just didn't know how or lack of will, I just will not. If you're lacking peace right now, saint, there's only three reasons why you're lacking peace. Either you don't know what to do, either you don't know how to do it, or you will not do what you know. And only you really have the answer to that question this morning. But from God's word, he's guaranteed peace. That's a promise. Why are you not experiencing that peace? Lack of knowledge, lack of skill, or lack of will. Surrender if it's lack of will and watch God's peace. Learn what to do if you know what to do. God's peace. If you don't know, don't walk in pride. Ask, find out. Don't try to medicate what the Messiah wants to resolve. You don't have to cope. You can be clear. The choice, saint, is yours this morning. Let's pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I thank you for my brothers and sisters at this location, in this part of the country. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow your word to sink into their souls. I thank you for their leadership. I pray, Lord, that as people may come and ask questions, that you would guide them with the wisdom to show them where there's a lack of knowledge, lack of skill, or lack of will, and guide them into the proper place that they may experience what you promised us in your word, and that is your peace. I pray for those that may not know you, Lord God, that they recognize that their lack of peace is because they've not come and put themselves under your authority, put themselves under you, allow you to deliver them out of their penalty and power of sin by not embracing you and the person and work of what you've done. I pray for those souls that they would come to you and find peace. And Lord, may you help us all to make the necessary adjustments in our lives for your glory, our good, and the good of mankind. And all of those who belong to him said, Amen.